afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the inaugural episode of the Sports Core Podcast. Ben Brown and Connor Carrington along with you for the debut episode. We are extremely excited to get this going with plenty of uh, sports to talk about. Hockey playoffs in full swing, basketball playoffs also well underway, and the Major League Baseball season also uh, well underway here into uh, the last week of May. So plenty to talk about, um, and we are extremely excited to bring you our thoughts on many of the goings-on around the sports world. Um, We've been thinking about this for a long time, so extremely excited to get it underway. Once again, Ben Brown and Connor Carrington, and our first uh, guest on uh, the Sports Corps podcast here this afternoon is Riley Gillespie-Wilson. Riley, thank you for joining us. Ben, thanks for having me. Connor, great to be here. Uh, of course, as you mentioned, the Stanley Cup playoffs underway. I'm excited to chat that with you gentlemen. Uh, maybe a little sleep-deprived with all the overtime we've seen, but it's been a wild start to these Stanley Cup playoffs, and I can't wait to hash things out with you today. Yeah, absolutely yeah. it has, and uh, that's where we're going to start uh, with the Stanley Cup playoffs, and we're going to start with the Toronto Maple Leafs, who are looking to close out the Montreal Canadiens tonight in five games after losing their first game uh, of the series to Montreal, rattling off three straight wins, including two on consecutive nights in Montreal, and now back on home ice looking to eliminate the Habs this evening. Um, Connor, I'm going to start with you. Uh, what do you think has been aside from the obvious being William Nylander, who has just been on a tear uh, to start the playoff scoring in four consecutive to open it up. What has been the biggest key to the Leafs' success so far through this first four games? Um, depth scoring, you see it. Um, well, obviously, yeah, of course, the big uh, out, out goaltending price, but I'm going to go with, yeah, depth scoring. Finally, uh, Leafs haven't had to rely on guys like Austin Matthews, uh, Mitch Marner. Yeah, between those between those two, only one goal. Um, they lit it up this year, and they were the prime uh, point getters for the team. Uh, but, yeah, it's been got veteran guys, veteran presence. You have Jason Spezza, who what – a, what a game he had the other night, uh, a goal – a couple assists, and just, um, yeah, Galchenyuk finally coming in, uh, making his presence known. He needed a game like that. And even uh, the third line with the puck possession, I I really like what uh, the Kerfoot line has been doing. Uh, They've really generated a lot, not uh, not being stuck in their own zone, too. Sure, yeah, you'd like to get some goals from them, but... They've been. They played quite solidly. I like how they've played in their whole blue line, whereas the Leafs uh, have between their blue line almost almost ten points. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, definitely depth. Riley, yeah, for me, I've got to go with two P's, Ben. I've got to start with the power, or the penalty kill. Pardon me, because that's really one thing for me entering this series. Where if Montreal was going to have any chance at winning this series against a very talented. Toronto Maple Leafs roster they were going to have to cash in on the special teams battle and every time Montreal is on the power play you see Toronto with a very solid penalty kill getting the job done keeping the puck out of their net that's really the only way I saw coming into this series Montreal was going to stick in games was if they won the special teams battle obviously lots of talk all season about the Leafs power play and its struggles but the penalty kill has been solid for them for the majority of the season and it's come through in the playoffs the second P for me has got to be persistence because really the only other glimmer of hope I thought the Montreal Canadiens had entering this series was Carey Price doing Carey Price things. And he's done that at points in this series, but Toronto just isn't phased by it. They just continue to play their game. They continue to work. Uh, Ben, I remember you even messaging me during the one game saying Montreal has no business being in this game, but they were. And that's a game where if, if Toronto is just kind of rattled by Price and some of the unreal saves he's making... Maybe they let that one slip away. Maybe Montreal climbs into this series just a little bit more. Obviously, a one-game gap and a two-game gap is a huge difference, so that's a huge win there for me. 
So it's got to be the two Ps for me. The penalty kill, which has been excellent, keeping Montreal off the board and keeping the games tilting in Toronto's favor, and just persistence, just battling through Carey Price, making sure that he doesn't steal this series for the Habs. Yeah, I think, um, you know, you look at it, and I think Connor uh, mentioned it with the depth. I mean, that's really important, and that's something that I think kind of separates uh, this year's version of the Leafs from the last three or four seasons uh, where they haven't had that same level of playoff success. Obviously, this series isn't over yet um, in reality, but it's very unlikely you would think that the Habs would um, come back from this 3-1 deficit. So I think uh, with the level of success the Leafs have had, it's been the depth, it's been the veteran presences of Thornton and... um, Jason Spezza and Wayne Simmons. Uh, Alex Kerfoot has been terrific uh, in the absence of John Tavares. So I think that's important. And also, yeah, look, uh, the Leafs, like I said, have a lot of veterans, a lot more veterans on their team this year. I mean, Matthews, Marner, Nylander, the likes of those guys have been around four or five years, but they're still young in terms of age. I mean, they're still very green in terms of their careers and especially their playoff careers because of the lack of success they've had in previous years. So being able to overcome big saves from Carey Price and not get down on yourself and realize that, yeah, you're the better team here. And if you just continue to play the way you're capable of playing, um, that you're more than likely going to win hockey games. And that's what we've seen so far from this Leafs team. And it just, yeah, it's impressive. Like you said uh, earlier, how impressive it's been without their captain, uh, leader on the team, and how they've rallied around. Yes, probably prior Leafs teams would just crumble under uh, this adversity. And so far, it's been the opposite, where they've, uh, after that tough, yeah, game one loss, uh, they've, they've, pretty much dominated every single uh, area of the game versus the Habs from goaltending to special teams, like you said. And uh, yeah, just, it's uh, definitely a different Leafs team that I, in a positive way. You talk about uh, the, the adversity that the Leafs have overcome. And, and I think that's really important because not only do you lose your captain, but you, the way you lost John Tavares with the serious injury and him having to be stretched off the ice and, and, and it's game one and you're on home ice and you haven't had a lot of success in game ones over this four or five year stretch of making the playoffs. So it would have been very easy for this team to have said, oh, you know, we just lost our captain. It's game one. We lose game one. Here we go again. But they haven't. They've bounced back a convincing win in Game 2, a little less so in Game 3, although they played pretty well for two periods and then did a good job defensively in the third despite giving up 14 shots. And then Game 4, another convincing win. So I think it's very important to point out the adversity and how good a job they've done at overcoming that. What were you going to say, though, Riley? Uh, thanks, Ben. I was just going to point out, and now I'm just kind of going to build off that, actually. Just everyone saying that this is a different Leafs team than years past. I think we're creeping closer and closer to that becoming an absolute fact, because this is a Toronto team that has really struggled in the first round of the playoffs. It's been well documented, but I believe, gentlemen, that they can taste it right now. They are one game away from sending their rivals packing, and I know we'll get to predictions later, but... If they can get that done, I've said this since the beginning of the playoffs, if they can get out of the first round, I really believe this is going to become a very dangerous Toronto team. And you look at a team, like even, everyone's going to laugh, but of course the Tampa Bay Lightning, you get, you yep. get a bunch of key players back, it's and true, all of a though. sudden you're rolling. All of a sudden you're rolling. And that, I, I know where you were going, Ben. All I was going to say is if they get John Tavares back eventually, imagine the boost it would be. You see it with Tampa Bay with Stamkos and Kucherov coming back in the lineup. All of a sudden they're a brand new team. But where you're going, Ben, is all Tampa Bay needed to do, and you actually boiled it down to one game last year, Ben, and it went five overtime, so you got you got a lot of time to, to digest whether that game was going to be key or not for the Tampa Bay Lightning. But yeah, they got swept in the first round, of course, well-documented again by the Columbus Blue Jackets, but they come back, they get that game one, 
And all of a sudden, it was just like, we can do this. This is our series. This is our playoffs. We're going all the way. That game one for the Lightning is synonymous to me with this first round for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Am I saying the Toronto Maple Leafs are going to go and win the Stanley Cup this year? No, I actually don't believe they do it this year. They're getting very, very close. I don't think this is the year. I apologize. But <laughs> if they get out of the first round, though, I would not be shocked to see a very deep, talented team go all the way. So I have one more question for you because this is something that we have talked about in private. It's the kind of the road, the the way the Leafs are going to go through these playoffs. In the first two rounds, obviously Montreal, a pretty easy matchup, and Winnipeg, um, should the Leafs advance, one of the easiest second-round matchups. Do we think, do you think that we are... Maybe not we in general, but people uh, as a collective are kind of over-hyping the Leafs because they've only had a chance to play six teams in what has turned out to be the weakest division in the league, and then in the third and the third and final rounds, they're going to have to play teams that are better than the ones they have played. Or do we think that this is a true representation of how good the Leafs can be? That's a really loaded question, Ben, and I think it's a little bit of both. I don't think you can really use the word overhyped because that's unfair to the Leafs. They didn't have the opportunity to showcase what they're able to do against the Tampa Bays, against the Carolinas, against the Floridas of that conference. I know conferences aren't a thing this year. I'm still used to it. (laughs) But yeah, I think if they had have had a chance to play those teams, I think they would have held up quite nicely. I really do. This is a Leafs team. You guys talked about it, and I want to touch on it as well as hammer that nail home. I think this Leafs team, those veteran additions of Wayne Simmons, Jason Spezza, Joe Thornton, guys like that over the years that know how to get in the right spots, how to be in the right place on the ice, how to make the right play in the playoffs, get pucks in deep when necessary, press the issue when necessary. I think that's huge. So just to kind of wrap up this question, I think they would have had a great chance to contend against teams like that. But on the flip side of that, Ben, is it going to be a rude awakening for the, and I guess I'll table that instead of giving my opinion, we'll throw it back to Connor here. Is it going to be a rude awakening for the Toronto Maple Leafs if they do get through Winnipeg, which let's be real, they probably should if they play their game, to have to play yeah. likely Tampa Bay or Carolina in the next round? Uh, for me, yeah. Uh, obviously, there's question marks, and number one probably going uh, would be the goaltending. Yeah, Jack Campbell has been uh, lights out, to say the least, but he, he hasn't faced the top teams out there like a Tampa, like a Austin, like an Islanders. Um, that's the real question mark probably would be in Leafland if there is any. But yeah, like you said, at least they finally addressed, oh, we need some experience. We need some grit. Um, Nick Foligno is a, when healthy, he is probably one of the uh, pro, prototypical uh, playoff guys that just know how to play the right style for playoff hockey. Um, he's just, yeah. And, and, he, and he'll stand up for guys like he did. Yeah, it was uh, questionable the fact that he fought Perry, but the, the fact that he, he, he made a stand there, for me, says, says a lot that he is not He's, he's going to be a, like a true uh, leader. Um, you need that leadership. And, yeah, it's, in, it's just going to be exciting, interesting to see. But, yeah, if there is one thing holding the Leafs back, that would be the, the lack of experience against top teams in, for their goaltending. So not, not yeah, saying I, that Jack can't do it, but we just haven't seen it. So that's where I'm. Yeah. Uh, no. yeah, and I think Riley brought up a good point in that, you know, um, obviously this has been a season like no other, so you haven't had the opportunity to right. sort of um, showcase against some of the top-tier talent uh, in the league. I mean, the Leafs won the North pretty handily. Uh, a couple teams, Edmonton, Winnipeg, made runs at them at different points, but the Leafs were always able to respond and, and 
and able to win the division. But I think um, I wrote about it in the winter, just before the season started, that this year would be different for the Leafs uh, than some of the previous seasons, because finally, and you touched on it, Connor, a second ago, the Leafs addressed some of their glaring deficiencies on the blue line and in terms of grit um, and veteran presence, um, bringing in Simmons and Joe Thornton and TJ Brody and even Zach Bogosian, who, Riley, I know uh, you weren't very excited when he signed yeah. with the Leafs as Solid a former player. Lightning. Solid player. Yeah, like he came in after being bought out to the Bolts um, by Anaheim last year and was just steady. And he's been exactly that for Toronto this year. Nothing flashy. He doesn't have a goal, um, you know, and, and I don't think has very many points either. But you don't need Zach Bogosian to be scoring points. He just needs to be steady defensively, a stay-at-home defenseman. And he's been quality on that third pairing for the Leafs. So I think they finally found that the we'll get them next year mentality wasn't good enough anymore because they had deficiencies that were losing them playoff games and playoff series and they went and addressed those. So I think this year um, has shown to be different for those reasons. But I want to move on from uh, the Leafs for a second and touch on some of the other series and we might as well start with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, big series win last night over the Florida Panthers, a 4 nothing victory to close that out in six. And it was a game, Riley, where I don't think the Lightning really found that they were in any trouble in that game. You know, they kind of had it under control. I mean, Florida, yeah, they got 35, 36 shots, however many shots they got, but it didn't feel at all like they were in any sort of of panic mode or anything of the sort and we're able to close it out relatively convincingly yeah we saw that earlier in the series ben where the lightning had a couple goal lead and that game and game six were just so different i think anyone that watched the games would agree am i right that yep. the lightning just had a different mentality they had a calm demeanor about them and let's not forget to mention ben and connor that it doesn't hurt to have I think hands down the best goaltender in the National Hockey League right now to batten down the hatches behind you. Uh, because the Lightning this season, as good as they were, they had a lot of defensive lapses throughout their season. As someone who watches them on a consistent basis, this is a team that I don't think you can throw around the term hanging their goaltender out to dry by any means, but just sprinkled throughout the games. There are just glorious chances for the opponents. And that happened throughout the Florida series. So kudos to Andre Vasilevsky with the shutout last night. He was fantastic. But just the way the Lightning played the game, they didn't stray away from what they wanted to do. They wanted to get on the rush. They wanted to create chances and they wanted to push the pace offensively. That's exactly what they did all night long. And when they needed them to shut the door, the big cat, as he's known in Tampa Bay, was there to shut it down. Huge win for the Bolts. And I think the Panthers just got humbled a little bit. If you want to be somebody, you got to beat somebody. If you want to be the champ, you got to beat the champs. And that's exactly what they failed to do last night. No. And it definitely helps that, yeah, Tampa, they have the added skill level. Um, you saw that beautiful goal by uh, Braden Point to, to finish it off. It just, that's something Florida just did, didn't have that, that other guy to support. Uh, a guy like Barkov or Huberdo, it wasn't there. No real threat seen, in my opinion. What I saw, other than other than Barkov, like bring, uh having Kucherov back that and playing like that, yeah, yeah. I I was like, once that game won, after that, it's like, yeah, this series isn't gonna go that far. Actually, Florida's uh, favor, even though they probably had the their best team to stack up against a team like the champs and the lightning. And it's, it's very unfortunate if you're a Panthers fan. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately you had to face the reigning Stanley cup champs. So well, um, the funny thing is Connor is that they were actually the higher seed in that series. A lot of people forget that yeah, yeah, technically the lightning right. were the underdogs. That's yeah. just a really tough division this year. Tough break for the Florida mm -hmm. Panthers, as you said, to have to face the lightning in the first round. And uh, just to wrap this quick, quickly up, Ben, um, I just think, as we discussed again privately, Ben, 
I don't think it's really possible to win a series when you start three different goaltenders two times each. That's just a baffling stat to me. They were just out goaltended, bottom line. Vasilevsky got it done. The combination of Drieger, Bobrovsky, and Knight did not. So the Lightning take the series. Yeah, and just just one more thing on that before we wrap up this uh, hockey segment here. Um, and you mentioned it. The Panther goaltending. Look, uh, Florida scored enough, right, to win this series. I mean, they didn't score last night, but overall, like, they scored enough goals. They scored four in game one, five in game three. You know, so they scored enough, I think, to win the series. But when you don't get goaltending and you let in six and you let in five and you let in, well, the goaltender let in three last night and then the empty netter to make it four. But when, you know, you would think that with as many goals as the Panthers were able to score against a goaltender that, as we have pointed out, is pretty good. You know, it's not bad. No, he's all right. Um, you know, you would think that you would like the position that you're in if you're Florida, but they didn't get any goaltending. And, you know, other than the dazzling performance from Spencer Knight, of all folks, in Game 3, or rather in Game 5, um, you know, they didn't get good enough goaltending from Bobrovsky and Dreeker. Bobrovsky didn't even dress last night, and he's being paid $10 million. So. Oh, that's- it's probably one of the worst contracts in hockey right now. Yeah, it Absolutely. certainly is. But, you know, I yeah. think that's where it comes down to from a Florida perspective because they did enough offensively to win. Um, and they just didn't get any stops. And that turned out to be the difference. No discredit to Tampa because they're a terrific team with a bunch of, you know, Hall of Fame, seriously, Hall of Fame caliber players. Um, but I think Florida, you have to like offensively what you did and just think, you know, if you got any goaltending whatsoever, you're in a pretty good spot. But we're going to wrap up the hockey portion of the show. So, uh, Riley, thank you very much for joining us. And uh, we'll hopefully talk to you again soon. Appreciate it, gentlemen. And just one last thing before I go here. I know we didn't get to it, but team to beat, got to be the Colorado Avalanche. They're looking amazing. Nathan McKinnon, still so good, Ben. He is quite the player. So, he is uh, very once again, good. Yes. Thanks yeah. again for having me, guys. And uh, yeah. I look forward to chatting again next week. All right. Thanks, Thank Riley. Take care. You too. Bye. Good to hear you. All right. That's uh, Riley Gillespie-Wilson. And that is our hockey segment for the inaugural episode of the Sports Corps podcast. We are going to step aside momentarily. But on the other side, we'll shift to the diamond. And Patrick Melbourne will join us to talk some Jays. And Alec Manoa is going to make his Major League debut in an hour or so. We'll delve into that as well. Stay tuned. excited about today because it's kind of the big moment of the first half of the season isn't it yeah yeah. definitely you know um this is who the fans have been clamoring for um to come up and start for probably two or three weeks at this point um and let's be mindful alec manoa has only made three starts in triple a uh They've been pretty good starts, but he's only made three starts, and now uh, he is getting thrust right into the fire at Yankee Stadium this afternoon um, in the first of a twin bill after last night was rained out. He was supposed to have made that debut last evening, but again, uh, inclement weather spoiling those plans, so he will start game one of the doubleheader this afternoon, a seven-inning game, of course. Um... You mentioned on Twitter, Patrick, today, mm-hmm. uh, and 
to us both privately that you would use an opener for Patrick Manoa or for Patrick Manoa, Alec Manoa, I should say, the um, <laughs> this afternoon. Why is that? I mean, I know, you know, we've heard uh, about some of the benefits of the opener. We've heard detractors say, well, you know, if you're going to struggle against the top of the order, you're going to struggle in the first or you're going to struggle in the third. You know, it doesn't make any difference. So why do you think that the opener strategy, which, by the way, they are not using. Um, yeah. But why do you think that that was the way to go uh, this afternoon in terms of Alec Manoa's Major League debut? So you mentioned Alec Manoa, really, really good in AAA so far this season. 3-0, 0.50 ERA, just phenomenal. 27 strikeouts, three walks. What worries me a little bit about Manoa today is his three-pitch mix. It's a fastball, slider, and a change. And he's always been projected, uh, pitch data from MLB Pipeline, by the way, he's always been projected to do well with that three-pitch mix. It is a little less than we typically see from starters, so it'll be fewer pitches that the New York Yankees will be seeing today. There will be a bit of, you know, it's foreign, we've never seen this guy. That should benefit Manoa early on. The reason I would use the opener, there's a couple. Looking at the Yankees' top of the order, it goes LeMahieu, Odour, and Judge. LeMahieu and Judge scare basically every pitcher. It doesn't matter if you're a rookie, it doesn't matter if you've been in the league. For 10 years, you're not looking to go up against those guys whenever you can avoid it. So if you put an opener in today, I suggested Anthony Castro because he's another kind of similar arm, not a ton of experience, but also really, really good when he's on his game. You have him go against LeMahieu Odor Judge the first time around. And then if that goes well, start second with Manoa. Freshly, it's basically like a start, except... The one key way where it's not like a start is your batting order starts with Torres, Ford, Frazier, which is a lot more reasonable and asked to give Manoa for start number one. So benefits at the start of the game, benefits down the road because you're facing LeMahieu or Dura Judge not as many times. It's an advantage for Manoa that I think would have been really, really... That is a fair point, but eventually uh, Manoa... You want to see what he's got. You've got to pl- you got to face the best of the best, right? Uh, coming in, and the, the Jays need pitching now. We've the- seen it all year, except with the exception of Ryu and uh, Robbie Ray's been all right. Um, their ERA right now is horrendous. Um, Especially when they need it most against this is this is to show the world, yeah, this guy can pitch and against the top of the top. I I I I throw him out there. I know I know Yankee Stadium is not it's not easy, but the Jays need to get a sense. Can he he can he handle the pressure? Yeah, he is very young. I get it, but so from my point of view, you're throwing Manoa out there anyway, right? The detractors of the entire call Alec Manoa up thing aren't going to love him being on the mound either way. So it's throw him into the fire or not in terms of pressure. But it's not about what the pressure is for Manoa. He's going to feel it either way. And I think he's up to it. He's a really confident guy historically through college and the minor leagues. He's a guy with a lot of personality on the hill, a big kind of look at me type attitude which I think the Jays really liked when they drafted him. Speculation on my end, but that's it's kind of something that'll uplift the clubhouse, right? But the thing that jumps out to me when it comes to the opener strategy I suggested, more than anything else, more than anything I've mentioned, is times through the order. Toronto was extremely conscientious about how many times their starters were going through the batting order last season for a reason. It's because the first two stats tend to be lower. Third time through the order, they raise a little bit. Anytime after three, they raise a lot. So if you want Manoa to go 100% today and be that guy the Jays want, you're kind of asking for a couple of innings or a couple of times through the order, three max. But you have to wait just a little bit, in my opinion. You have to get him out there. Maybe go with the opener, like I said. Give him two times through the order. 
and then see how comfortable he looks. If it looks good, then you start to give him more and more of a leash every time in the future. You have to hold back just a little bit this time out to make sure you've got Alec Manoa in all capital letters for future starts instead of, you know, messing with his confidence and start number one. So yeah, talk- well, it does help that um, Manoa won't have to face a guy like uh, John Carlos then or a or a, a Aaron Hicks t- today. So I think, yeah, this was obviously as good a good a chance or good a good a game that uh, Jay's fans uh, would want for Manoa. If you're when you if you're pl- playing the Yankees with their uh, depth hitting wise, so yeah, it's I, I'm very excited to see uh, what he can bring because right now, yeah, in, in, in Toronto, uh, they need some something positive to come out. A burden pitching has been right for, for a team that should be able to compete with with their bats, you know. And from my perspective today, the number one thing for Manoa above all else is control over being just overpowering for the sake of being overpowering. We know Manoa's got really, really good stuff out there, but when he's on, he strikes out a lot of batters. He has, through pretty much all of his starts in uh, Buffalo this season, Buffalo slash Trenton, 27 strikeouts and three starts. So he's got the kind of command you need to face off against the New York Yankees. The one problem he's run into, and this was particularly in the first start more than the other two, when the control gets away from him, it really gets away from him. He had three hit by pitches in that first start. I was watching. He looked dominant, but he had his kind of off moments where he didn't look quite as good for a pitch at a time in the minor leagues. You can get away with that against the New York Yankees. You kind of can't. So he has to make sure every single pitch is locked in today. So just in general, you were talking earlier about some of the detractors of bringing Alec Manoa up for this start in particular, where it's Yankee Stadium, the Yankees, you know, have historically and presently one of the most potent offensive lineups in baseball is desperation kind of in a sense from the Jays in terms of we need somebody who has shown they can be dominant on the mound or is this the right decision in terms of this is a guy who is up for that pressure of making his debut in Yankee Stadium you know against the New York Yankees because there was also the option of bringing him up for the start against Cleveland on the weekend, obviously a little less pressure cooked um, pitching at progressive field as opposed to Yankee stadium. So what do you make of it? Like, do you think that this is sort of a decision that the Jays made because they thought it was necessary or because they think that he is absolutely up for this and that this pressure will just not even affect him? So Alec Manoa is 23. I'm just double checking that on the fly. Yeah, he's 23. He's dominating AAA. When it comes to pitchers who are kind of borderline Major League AAA, you're looking for stats in AA and stats in AAA, ideally. And if they're down in like the four and three ERA range, that you're kind of keeping an eye on them to see where they go next. Alec Manoa started low. And I think there's an element of, you know what? A, why wait for him to go up and ruin his confidence? But B, how much is he really gaining from being down there that long? So from a player development standpoint, I'm not sure there's really that much more to gain from having Alec Manoa down in AAA right now. Uh, it, it You might as well see what you have. He's a guy who isn't super young and could impact right now if things go right. When it comes to the Yankee Stadium thing, you're going to have to do it eventually. So if you start, again, if you start really high then best case scenario, he lives up to it and he never has to deal with that again because he's already faced that pressure. If you start low, there's always going to be that thing in the back of his mind where, you know, I pitched in Cleveland, but Yankee Stadium, I've been dreaming about it my whole life. This is crazy. What is going to happen? You don't have to deal with the mind games past his first start in this case. So I'm okay with it. 
yeah, off your point, yeah, I see it more, yeah, not 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 based off favorable opponents, but just yeah, if you want see what he got against the cream of the crop, and I also see it as yeah, this is sort of must win territory. Well, not really, but against the uh, team you're trying to chase. Yeah, you need to uh, get as many early wins as you can, yeah, so you don't have to worry about them that, later. Yeah, exactly. You believe in this guy. It's, it, it to me, it's it, it, I see it as a lot that the Jays are confident, comfortable putting this guy out there. That that says, oh yeah, this guy is going to be hopefully a cornerstone player for this team for years to come. And a pretty good starting pitcher, and that, that this is a good thing. And Ben uh, mentioned in the question, do you think the Jays are? kind of on the desperate side of things with this Manoa move. I would argue no, because we've seen it over and over again. If the Blue Jays just needed an arm and it could have been any arm, it wouldn't be a top prospect. They could go get some starter that's been DFA'd somewhere, somewhere on that level, you know, one of those guys where you could just plug him in. You could yeah. call up TJ Soik. You could do Anthony Kay or Trent. It's not just a random, you know, throw someone out there and see if it works. It's, you know, this guy's dominating at AAA. We think he can be an above average MLB pitcher at this point. There's no service time manipulation that can be going on at this point. I kind of hate to bring that up, but you know, every team does that. Why not go for it? Especially in a season where you marked your intent of competing by signing Marcus Semien to a one-year deal. Yep. Well, look, I mean, I agree. I think that, you know, you look at it and... The fact of the matter is with the Jays, uh, they need starting pitching here, okay? Because they're getting none outside of Ryu and Robbie Ray at the moment. And, you know, um, the bullpen was terrific early in the season. Lights out, you know, didn't allow a run. Tim Mesa didn't allow a run for four, five, six appearances, something like that. He's been pretty poor uh, the last little while and his ERA at the moment is up over seven so you know you knew that if the Jays continued on the trajectory that they were on with their starting pitching that the bullpen was going to get burnt out and it mm -hmm. has and it is May 27th so so what's gone there in my kind of view of it is the Blue Jays decided to go all in this offseason on the offensive side and build their perfect lineup and the lineup they think is their vision, right? But the side yeah, effect but they of that, the rotation, right? The right? side effect of that was instead of going out and getting a big name starting pitcher or someone even on the second tier, like a Jake, Jake Odorizzi or a Masahiro Tanaka type, right. they decided well, to go he... with undervalued bargain bin yeah. style arms like Robbie Ray, Steven Matz, seeing what they could get out of them. That says two things to me. It says, A, they're going to be active at the trade deadline. Let's be honest here. Well, they, they have, better be. Yeah, they have a million middle infielders and five catchers, right? So they're gonna have to uh, they're gonna have to be active at the trade deadline for both the rotation and the bullpen. And B, since your rotation is made up of kind of lottery tickets and your bullpen is a bunch of guys who are getting used really early, you're gonna have to be extremely proactive when it comes to things like the waiver wire, international signings for maybe pitchers that are free agents. I suggested yesterday on my site that since the league in Taiwan has paused, you might want to call up the uni president lions and see if the former Red Sox prospect who was in AAA and doing well in 2019 is available. Seems to make sense to me. You, you have to be as proactive as you can because you decided to go down the route where there's upside if it works, but if it doesn't, it's going to be a little iffy. You set yourself up for this. Now you have to rise up to it. Connor, I'll let you in here in a sec, but you look at it and, and you know, I think it should have been reasonably forecasted that it wasn't going to work uh, from a pitching standpoint. I, because, I, you know... Yeah. I would argue Robbie it has, Ray actually. Wasn't... What's that? I would argue it has. Looking past Hyunjin Ryu, they're plan was hoping that one of Steven Matt's Ross Stripling, Robbie Ray, 
would be a solid number two and the rest would be serviceable. So far, they've got Robbie Ray vastly outperforming what his expectations were. His walks are way down. His strikeouts are up. He's been a genuine yep. number two. And that's something he's really never been since coming over, I think, a couple of teams ago at this point. And then Steven Matz, he looked done last year. The Mets had no faith in him. They gave him up for three arms who were not prospects. And they've got, I would say, solid number four pitcher from him. It's just filling in the blanks from there. And I think rather than saying, okay, they could have expected this, I think they were throwing 10 lottery tickets onto this season, hoping two of them worked, two of them have, and it's about those next steps. Obviously, you'd like to be using the bullpen less, but bullpen arms are reasonably replaceable when it comes to the MLB side of things. You can't go out and replace your shortstop just like that, but you can call up someone else in the bullpen, you know? There are quicker fixes to that. So they've set themselves up in an interesting way, but it's not an impossible way to fix. Yeah, Connor, I, I would argue that, you know, you went out and you got somebody like Marcus Simeon with the hypothesis that you were going to compete for a playoff spot. I don't know that you can really bet on the fact having, you know, at this point you've got for a playoff spot and, you know, I'm not saying the Jays are competing for a World Series this year because that's a little bit dramatic, but you want to compete for a playoff spot and, you know, be able to get beyond the wild card game, okay? You want to at least get to the division series. I don't think you can go into the season and have two pretty glaring holes in your rotation if you want to do that. That's where you sort of question, was was it worth it bringing in, yeah, like you said, a guy like uh, Marcus S- Simeon, but neglecting uh, other, uh, probably more glaring position, which they had coming into this season in pitching. Yeah, George Springer, yeah, you obviously, if you're in baseball, you do that trade or, or signing, no no doubt about it. He's, Absolutely. When, he, when he's on, he's he's one of the best hitters in baseball, for sure. But like like I said, like yeah, a guy like uh, Marcus Simeon, who he's in this been season, terrific, by the way. Yeah, he has been great, but you knew you there's some question marks. Simeon, will he be able to continue this? Because his strikeout uh, rate uh, and uh, contact on ball prior to the season or or for last season was wasn't very good. So you, it's short sample size this year, which he has been great, yes. But I, I just look at it like best thing the Jays could have done was to uh, re-sign a guy, a reliable guy. Uh, I know he hasn't played amazing, great this year, but like a Taiwan Walker or even yeah, a Matt Shoe, Shoemaker, yeah, who, who can give you, who can give you, you know, at least six innings per so. I would and now, uh, now they're blowing now they're blowing their the arms of bullpen, which they to be honest, yeah, it's been a huge surprise. But now you could see they're they're it's 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 flailing, right? They they they're not getting that. There's uh, there's a couple of points I want to make to that productivity from the bullpen now, and it's really showing. First, I and think that's the reason why is because they don't have the starting depth like to go that six seven right now, so. They desperately need, especially against good teams like Yankees, Rays, Red Sox. Connor, I think there's two things I take away from what you just said, and I disagree with, if I'm honest. First, I think Marcus Semien was brought in as much for off-the-field impact as on-the-field impact. He is a guy who was a terrible defender when he first came up to the big leagues, and now he's elite. Have you noticed anything happening on the infield this season? Like... Bo Bichette starting really badly defensively and then turning it around and becoming a pretty good defender. Kevin Biggio is being forced to play in a lot of places. I think Semyon was brought in to be a leader in that clubhouse and to mentor the young infielders a little bit and try and coach them up to being more confident and being better when they're asked to be utility guys. The Jays like to imitate the Rays, so they, they're going to want utility guys. Uh, on the other note, Matt Shoemaker's been terrible this year. Um, the Blue Jays, I thought, 
should have re-signed him as well, but the fact that they didn't isn't really bothering them. Um, I think what it comes down to with the starting depth is, and I've been pushing the idea of the opener because one of these teams is going to realize it's kind of a broken concept. It's a free pass to getting your starter later in the game if you've got a shutdown reliever at the start. The Blue Jays' only exposure to the opener really has been okay relievers like Wilmer Font going with it. If you have a one-inning reliever that can go out consistently and do it, congratulations, you're going to be getting deeper into the game with your starters, you're going to be using less bullpen arms. They love imitating the Rays. I wonder if one of these teams, and it could be the Blue Jays, will look at the opener eventually and go, huh, this is, uh, this is more helpful than I think anybody, including the Rays, have given it credit for. And we could be using it almost every day, except for our ace day. That could be a solution yeah. that they're kind of hiding at the moment. All right, it, makes, it makes you wonder, sorry, uh, yeah. were, were they banking on Pearson? If they were, they the, shouldn't have. If, yeah. if they were, they shouldn't have. And I don't say that to be they mean to Pearson, but right. Pearson's dealt with the injuries. We've known that. And he's another guy like Manoa, where his experience at the major league level is just barely more than Manoa's, really. Um, and he, it's been super inconsistent. I think Pearson's going to be a very good pitcher. I have no reason to argue with what the consensus on that is, but it's just a little bit early to go, hey, Nate, you're one of our five. If you don't do your job, we're not making the playoffs. It was early for that. And you need five guys where you can basically tell them that. If you're not going to yeah. go all sabermetrics analytics, play around with this starter versus opener concept. All right, let's switch off the pitching here for a second because I think we'd be remiss uh, if we didn't talk about Vladimir Guerrero Jr. because he has just been ridiculous so far this year, near the top of the league, if not right at the top in uh, home runs. Mm-hmm. this season uh he's finally become what everyone thought he was going to be two years ago and it's been amazing to see he's finally become that massively imposing threat that we all thought he could be um patrick you first what most uh, um do you attribute that to I think some Jays fans who have been watching the last couple of seasons kind of see it as a massive spike in production over, I guess, from the start of 2020 when they were in Washington playing those home games in Washington uh, to right now. It seems like there's kind of a gap in the middle, but there's a period in the middle that's super important, and it's his time in Lidom, the Dominican Winter League, when he was playing for the Leones del Escogido. Last year... He was, he admitted himself that he was out of shape. He didn't have the confidence, I think, that he has now. In the middle, when he was playing in the Dominican Republic through the winter, he was slowly gaining confidence because there was nowhere near as much pressure. It, it was visible. He was laughing a lot more. He was kind of, it's super common. Now we see with Vlad that he was super laid back and just having fun out there. Yep. So there was that middle period where, all the confidence was coming back. The production was getting a little bit better. They kind of figured out that third base wasn't going to be the spot for him. So coming into this year, it was an arc going from down. I can't describe it, but it it was a steady climb in both confidence and production heading into this year. So that was a key that I think a lot of people don't necessarily give enough credit to. But the other one, sticking at first base and making first base his primary position, working and just focusing on one thing there. Okay, that's part of my brain right there. I'm going to get better. I'm not going to worry about going through three different positions and sometimes DHing, dealing with how difficult third is. None of that. He knows he can hit. He clearly knows he can hit when he's on. Fewer things are on his mind. Less pressure. He's just playing at such an increased confidence level right now. And it's been a really, really cool arc to see. 
And I, I think the sky's the limit, man. I, he's really, really good. And he's good on elements that aren't power as well. He gets on base a lot. Yeah. He, he works counts. There was one at bat we were watching yeah. last week. I forget which at bat it was, but me and my friend were texting each other. And we're going, okay, not only was that a home run, but that was also Cavan's eye in Guerrero's right. bat. So he's he's getting so many tools that he didn't necessarily even have before and that's just terrifying for pitchers really yeah well my biggest takeaway is yeah that uh of uh play discipline uh yeah like his on base percentage right now is off the charts and the reason why is he's not trying to swing for the fences looking for anything to hit he's taking his pitches taking you get those pitches he wants and when he does it's out of there or it's different parts of the uh bolt park so it's it's very that, that very, three homer very day was left center and right right yeah left center and right yeah it was amazing like i'm like wow we haven't seen this since what in toronto <laughs> since Del- delgado and like, delgado struck out a lot like vladdy's not yeah, going to strike yeah, out nearly Vladdy, as much as delgado yeah, exactly. Exactly. At least so not right it's now. Like, wow, this is finally coming to fruition here in Toronto, and it's it's amazing to see, and it's and he's and it's great for baseball. The one um, last thing I'll say on it is, it's funny the you talked about the plate discipline. It's isn't it funny comparing Vlad Junior to his dad? <laughs> I mean, he was hitting like you know. <laughs> He would hit. He would hit balls yeah. that were off the back netting back, over the yeah, backstop, yeah, yeah. you know, and and, no, and and try and hit homers. And Guerrero, you know, he's taking pitches three inches outside right, and right. and and walking on them. I mean, it's just been terrific to see, um, you know, because a lot of power hitters are home run or bust right they're gonna swing for the fences they're gonna not for their pitch necessarily they're gonna go after you know everything that moves and if it goes out of the park great if it doesn't well i'll do it next time that's not the type of hitter that vlad is and i think that's the biggest improvement that we've seen out of him uh this year but uh we're almost an hour into this so i think uh this is a good time to wrap things up gentlemen uh patrick thank you very much for joining us and being a part of the inaugural episode we extremely appreciate your expertise and uh we'll talk to you again soon thanks 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 for having me on just before i go one exciting thing the wbsc baseball america's olympic qualifiers uh are right around the corner team canada has a few names that people listening should be recognizing former blue jay scott richmond uh, former Blue Jays prospect Connor Panis is on here somewhere, but also John Axford. It's going to be really exciting, and I think uh, that whole qualifier will be exciting. So I recommend checking that out. Yeah, absolutely it will, and uh, we'll definitely check that out. Thanks again, Patrick. And uh, thank you to everyone for listening to the inaugural episode of the Sports Corp Podcast. We will be here with two episodes a week every Monday and Thursday, so uh, we'll certainly have some more hockey to talk about as the second round of the playoffs might be commencing around that time next week um, and some more days of course and we'll also get into the NBA playoffs in that episode um, as well so join us Monday for episode 2 of the Sports Core podcast we look forward to chatting with you then for Connor Carrington, Patrick Melbourne and Riley Gillespie Wilson I'm Ben Brown thank you very much for joining us.